0: And welcome back to another episode of the Reconomy podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I'm Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American. And here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American. Hey, Mark, I've got a joke for you. Why can't you hide while wearing polka dots?
1: Hi, Odetta. Hmm, this is a new twist on how we start our Reconomy episodes, but okay, okay, I'll play along. I don't know why can't I hide while wearing polka dots?
0: Because you'll always be spotted.
1: <laughs> uh, um, okay. Uh, please don't quit your day job.
0: All right, fine. But the joke is somewhat relevant to today's topic and that they both refer to dots. Because today, and you guessed it. I did? Isn't it obvious? We're talking about the Fed's dot plot and what the latest dot plot means for the housing market. But first, Let's start with what it is. The FOMC or Federal Open Market Committee dot plot also called the Fed's dot plot, is a chart that summarizes the FOMC's outlook for the federal funds rate. Now, four times a year, the FOMC publishes a summary of economic projections or SEP. The SEP includes forecasts for where key economic indicators like unemployment, GDP and inflation will be. This quarterly release also includes the dot plot, which shows each Fed official's projections for the federal funds rate will be up to three years and over the long run. The dot plot Dots are anonymous, so you don't know which member made which projection. You can check out my Twitter feed at Odetta Cushy to see a picture of the most recent dot plot released by the Fed in September. The dot plot is a Fed member forecast, not a policy commitment. But they are closely watched by the financial market because they're viewed as a guide of future Fed monetary policy. So, Mark, can you talk a little bit about how the dot plot came to be?
1: I think I first have to acknowledge that we are working with a tongue twister here in the word dot plot. How I many times can so. you- I think so. Exactly. But yes, we love our economic history here on Reconomy, but you might be surprised to learn that there's actually not a lot of history here to talk about. The dot plot was invented in 2012, not that long ago, after the global financial crisis in the hope of providing more, shall we say, transparency into Fed monetary policy. If you recall after the 2008 crisis the fed lowered the fed funds rate to zero and here's the big one for the first time ever purchased u.s treasuries and mortgage-backed securities what we refer to as mbs participating in the bond market directly like this not only the first time it was has had ever done it was also known as quantitative easing new tools less transparency and financial markets don't like all that uncertainty When will the Fed funds rates go back up? Will they do that before or after stopping quantitative easing? So many questions. Enter the dot plot. More transparency, well, or now just even more uncertainty because it's not a policy commitment, or is it? It's just a forecast. By the way, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has said just this summer that the dots are not a great forecaster of future rate moves because it's so highly uncertain.
0: Ah, yes. The folly of forecasting interest rates.
1: Yep. We try to avoid that task like the plague around here. The Fed regularly reminds us that they are data dependent in making their decisions. And as we know, a lot can happen with economic and geopolitical events in the future.
0: Like a pandemic, for example?
1: Ah, yes. Like a pandemic, something we did not see coming back in 2020. Investors also compare the dot plots from quarter to quarter to see how the Fed forecast is changing any information to reduce that uncertainty. And when you hear that the Fed has a more hawkish forecasting higher rates position or a more dovish forecasting lower rates position, that's financial market lingo for their perception of the direction of monetary policy from this forecast that we all acknowledge isn't very good. I know bird lovers may disagree, but it would seem in this lingo that hawks are bad and doves are good. But in the most recent September report, and this is the big news, the Fed indicated a more hawkish tone. Care to explain, Odetta?
0: Well, so as you mentioned, investors are very interested in the quarterly projections as rates have been sitting near zero since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And the Fed has indicated that rates won't increase and quantitative easing tapering will not begin until, quote, substantial further progress, end quote, has been made towards its goals of full employment and stable inflation. Yet the labor market continues to improve. And the Fed has remained consistent in its messaging that the current increase in inflation is largely reflecting transitory factors as opposed to expectation for a longer run transition to higher inflation. At the latest Fed meeting, not only did the Federal Reserve signal that it was ready to start reversing its pandemic stimulus programs as early as the end of this year, but dot plots indicated that a rate increase could be in the cards for next year. In fact, nine of the 18 FOMC members expect a rate hike in 2022. That's up from seven in June's Fed projections. Additionally, all but one member is expecting at least one rate hike by the end of 2023. Now, as you've mentioned, and as I will reiterate, the dot plot doesn't have a great record in accurately predicting liftoff. For example, projections from the December 2015 meeting showed that the median Fed official expected four rate hikes in 2016, but we only had one rate hike that year in December. And this has nothing to do with the Fed's ability to forecast. It's more to tell the rest of us not to rely so strongly on dot plot predictions. So why would the Fed be taking a more hawkish tone implying a higher likelihood of raising interest rates than the previous June meeting? You see the irony here. We just
1: said, don't pay too much attention to it, but let's pay some more attention to it. (laughs) Yes, the Fed is seemingly indicating that they are happy with the progress towards full employment and price stability that we've seen in the rebound since the bottom of the recession. And signaling that the economy will continue to recover, maybe not as fast as we had originally thought, but still strong recovery. But another way that they've showed the confidence in the economy is by indicating that they may actually not only raise the Fed funds rates, as indicated by the hawkish dot plot, but more importantly for us, slow down the purchase of those treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. In other words, taper that quantitative easing as early as the end of this year.
0: Well, that has some pretty strong implications for the housing market, as we discussed in episode 19. And just a refresher, the Fed is currently purchasing approximately 120 billion dollars worth of assets each month, 80 billion of treasuries and about 40 billion of mortgage backed securities or MBS in order to keep long term interest rates low. Now that the Fed is signaling a slowdown in MBS purchase, is this the end of the housing market? Ah, the end.
1: It has to be the end when rates go up from ever-long historic lows. Hardly, of course not. One of the biggest challenges in the housing market today is how to satisfy all the demand caused by the cheap mortgages because of quantitative easing. This easy monetary policy is why house prices, in part, are continuing to break record growth pace levels. What would we expect when demand is high with a limited supply of homes for sale? If mortgage rates actually rise because the Fed reduces their purchase of mortgage-backed securities by a little bit, in other words, quantitatively taper, affordability will be impacted and that will cause a little bit of that demand just to cool a little.
0: So the taper may actually help to bring some balance to the housing market, which, by the way, it does need. We recently released our July Real House Price Index, or RHPI, which showed that while house buying power increased by nearly 4% on a year-over-year basis in July, nominal house prices increased over 20%, vastly outpacing house buying power. So if rates increase, it will cause some home buyers to pull back from the market, which may result in fewer or less intense bidding wars and a moderation of house price gains. Ah, yes,
1: but that doesn't mean a collapse in house prices or a crash in house prices. Remember, tapering alone is not going to fix the supply and demand imbalance that we see in the housing market today. And as we've talked about before, don't forget that buying home is not just a financial decision. It's also a lifestyle decision. So even if rates increase modestly, there will still be plenty of demand from all those millennials You included, Odetta, right? Me included. Who will want to become homeowners, looking to move to the suburbs, start a family, do all the things that people do at that life stage, regardless of interest rates. Refinance demand, on the other hand, well, that's definitely much more rate sensitive.
0: You're right. The demographic demand remains very strong. And not only that, but it's important to know that while rates are widely anticipated to increase, consensus forecasts still puts them at about 3.2 percent in the last quarter of 2021, which is very, very low from a historical perspective. And part of the reason for that is that while the Fed may begin to taper its asset purchases, there still remains quite a bit of downward pressure on rates from the ongoing uncertainty caused by the pandemic.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Uncertainty and the flight to safety. When global investors sense increased uncertainty, that flight to safety goes where? Luckily for us, to U.S. Treasury bonds, which causes their prices to go up and their yield to go down. And mortgage rates follow those yields, roughly. The 10-year Treasury yield today remains barely above 1.5%, even though inflation is in the 3 or 4% range, depending upon what metric you look at. This is still historically less than 2%. We never see, never saw yields below 2% before the financial crisis, and yet they've been pretty much there the entire time since. So still, lots of downward pressure on the 10-year Treasury yield and mortgage rates, shall we say, by association.
0: So there you have it. The Fed's dot plot indicated that rates might be increasing sooner than expected, but it's all dependent on the economic recovery. As long as the recovery remains on track, there is reason to believe that a rate hike may be in the future for 2022. Tapering is likely to happen sooner, and that may prompt mortgage rates to rise. But fear not, it does not mean that the housing market will crash, although we may see some cooling of purchase demand and definitely a cooling of refinance demand. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can also sign up for our blog at firstam.com slash economics. And if you can't wait for the next episode, please follow us on Twitter. It's at Odetta Kushi for me and at M. Fleming Econ for Mark. Until next time.
1: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Reconomy podcast from First American. For even more economic content, visit firstam.com slash economics. This episode is copyright 2021 by First American Financial Corporation, all rights reserved. For more information, visit us at firstam.com.